Hello and welcome to the Human Factor Podcast, a series of conversations discussing the topics and themes influencing the world of work today. My name is Michael Esau. I'm a global HXM advisor at SAP. And I'm Simon Humphreys. I'm a solution architect at SAP. So Simon, this episode is going to prove to be, I think, a really interesting one. We're talking today about the power of philosophy and how a philosophical approach can really uh, influence and determine how people behave, how they align, connect, etc. in an organization. What are you looking forward to on this episode? So we're both uh, ardent sport fans, but it'd be interesting to understand what happens behind the scenes uh, and the impact and the value of having a philosophy and how that you know, is running alongside you know, the team success. But I'm also interested in our guests' opinions on you know, does that also translate to other industries? Uh, it, it's not just a, a, a football club that needs you know, philosophy. Yeah, it, industries um, need philosophies as well. So it'd be, be very interesting to see and and hear his experiences and his thoughts on on a wider context than just football. Yeah, I, I listen, I, I agree. I mean, like you, I'm I'm really interested to understand how in that sporting context you align you know, people, players, staff to a philosophy, but then crucially, how do you then sustain that through the attraction of talent, the growth of talent and the retention of players and staff? Because everybody is is then aligned to that success. So it's that sort of red thread, if you like. And I think that red thread, as you said, Simon, is common in, in, in other industries. So I think this is going to be hopefully a really rich, interesting conversation. We are absolutely delighted to welcome our special guest, Russell Martin. Russell is a former professional footballer who played over 500 matches at the top level of English and Scottish football. He also represented his country, Scotland, on 29 occasions. He entered the world of football management and coaching in November 2019 with MK Dons and became the head coach of Swansea City Football Club in August 2021. Outside of football, Russell has a number of business interests, including part ownership of Erpingham House, the largest vegan restaurant in the UK, but also the Russell Martin Foundation. The charity aims to use the power of football to help change people's lives by providing access to football, education and health courses in the local community. Welcome to the podcast, Russ. Thank you very much for being a guest and we Really appreciate you giving us your time. Thank you. No, thank you. Looking forward to the conversation. So the episode is titled The Importance of Philosophy. And with all of our episodes, let's put that into context. So let's ask a question. What do people want from their place of work? And I think a fair answer is they want to enjoy it. I think that's a fair assumption. There are often other contributing factors too. People want to perform at their best. They want to achieve something, they want to grow, they want to feel appreciated, feel safe, feel recognized and valued. These apply to all people, irrespective of role. So the second question then is, what is it that attracts someone to a certain organization? Is it the rewards? Have they worked with someone before? They want to work with them again? Is it the reputation of the organization? The likelihood is it'll be a mixture of those things. You know, what's become a, a, apparent is that this is more than more important than ever. The culture of the organization, how things are done, what it feels like to work there, the leadership culture, all of these things can be summed up in one word. 
a philosophy. What is the philosophical approach to how the work is done, which in simple terms is becoming a major differentiating factor in the attraction, development and growth? So in this episode, we're super excited to be joined by Russ, who believes passionately in having a clear philosophy and a clear identity in how things should work in his team and organization, but also how that is then applied and shared with his team, this coaching team, and then reinforced through feedback, etc. So I'm sure this is going to be a rich conversation. Um, just to kick off, though, um, before I ask the first question, you were quoted very recently, Russ, and you said, this is describing you joining Swansea um, and, and leading the club. You said, we're not here to have a smash and grab season where we win and we don't understand why, or we just get lucky. And in many respects, that sort of encapsulates the conversation that we're having. So if I can sort of ask the sort of first question, if you like, you ventured into football management in November 2019. You, you played football at the highest level, over 509 appearances. You represented your country on 29 occasions. So when you ventured into football management, you had a very clear idea of how you would do things. How was that shaped? I think it was a, it was a number of things. I think um, my, my own playing experience, of course, my experience of how I was managed, how I was treated, how connected I felt to certain um, ways of doing things, what my preference was culturally in terms of uh, an organisation, how people behaved, how we were expected to behave, standards, so I think all of that helps guide you and shape you. And then I have a real firm belief on, on um, a way of playing football, an idea or a vision of football, if you like. So I have a really clear vision of what I'd, I'd like my team to look like. And again, that was, was a journey I was on whilst I was playing. I took all of my coaching badges and um, a management diploma. I have other businesses outside of football, which have really helped in terms of shaping how to help guide people to where you want to get to without, you know, being forceful or... Um, without being without micromanaging, does that make sense? So trying to have alignment with with uh, people and and beliefs and values is really important. Just try to take take it into football. Really, I, I said when I when I took over as a manager, I wanted to do it in a way that reflected me as a person. So I wanted the team to reflect me on the pitch, my personality. I want the way we behave day in day out to be something that I enjoy being part of and I'm really comfortable with. And I, I look at people and I think it's just about honesty and respect. And about trying to be better, really. And it's maybe a bit extreme or a bit purist, the way that we want to play football. I get that. But I really believe in it. And I can't do anything I don't believe in. So I think it all boils back down, back down to that, really, is, is, a, is the values and a belief system that um, I've built over a number of years through my childhood, through my football career, through my relationships with other people. And that's all helped shape what I want to be as a, as a football manager. Because it's the same thing, right? I'm dealing with people. It's in a different business. but everything is about people the purpose and connecting people to the purpose and connecting people to the other people involved and making sure that we all have a connection in some way and we talk about it on, on the pitch as well connection is a big word for us on the pitch connection to the team we want to be to each other on the pitch not just practically in terms of distances but you know in terms of how they feel and um, so it's really important to me that we're trying to do it that way and i accept it's not going to be every football player because a lot of footballers have a lot of scar tissue from bad experiences in the game a lot of fear from things that have gone wrong mistakes made and in my opinion they a lot of the time they're unfairly judged because there's a lot of ambiguity there's a lot of gray area 
And I think some people are really harshly judged when actually they've not been they've not been told to do things in a certain way, but still get judged on it in terms of performance. So if you have no clear vision or no clear goals individually or as a team, as a collective group, how anyone can judge anyone's performance then, I'm talking about business as well now, to be fairly critical of anything or anyone, um, subjectively, objectively, there needs to be a clear vision of what's important. Um, and I think we, we're slowly getting there. I think the guys know what's really important to us. I think most importantly, they really buy into it and they're convinced by it, which was the biggest challenge for us when we first came in. And now the decisions they make are really, really brave. We saw that last week with, with our game as well. And um, I'm proud of how far we've come, but we have a lot of work to do still. Of course, yeah. No, I, listen, there's so many points to pick out of there. I mean, the world of work has evolved. It's changed. We've been through a pandemic. You know, there's much been written in the column inches about the great resignation, the great departure, the attraction of talents getting harder, retention of talents getting harder. People have more choice. But as you mentioned, you talked about purpose, you talked about values, you talked about connection. And I think the word that is coming up time and time again is a sense of belonging. I think people are searching for that. They're striving for that. So there's many different points to pick out. So let's link philosophy then to strategy and outcomes. And you're starting to touch upon this. This is a big learning point, I think, for many of our listeners is how do you get that support from the broader organization? How do they forget the team for the moment? This is just a broader piece. How do you get them to buy into that? I think like the Simon Sinek thing, start with why, is um, making people understand why we're doing it. So why do I believe in it so much? Why is it going to be of value to, to everyone here? Why is it going to improve what we're already doing? Um, and why is it worth persisting with? So, you know, the why, what, how. Um, I listened to Alistair Campbell speak once in one of my courses about objective strategy and tactics is the same thing, really, in different terminology. So it's about always focusing and making people aware of the, the end goal, why we're doing it, and, 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 and making them feel part of it, part of the journey, right? So everyone here, I tell, tell them all the time, is really important. I'm not a qualified physio. They know much more than me. They'll be trusted to do their job and do it really, really well. I choose to trust people first rather than not trust anyone and then them trying to earn it. I think it's much easier that way, being open. You know, some were waiting for the first time. We had a little bumpy patch or rocky patch to see if that behavior would change. But I think being really consistent with the philosophy, with the why, and making people understand it and, and, and reminding them as well really easy to come in at the start of something and say right we're going to do this this is the vision this is why and then it never gets spoken about again and you kind of get muddled up and lost along the way i think reinforcing all the time why we're doing what we're doing why it's going to work what we're doing already that is going to help it work what we're doing really well what we can improve on and everything we do here is is now to, to aim for that for the why for the vision for for what we start with and the philosophy fits around that making sure that we reinforce all the good stuff all the time to players, to staff, even if it's just, a, you know, the way they behaved in front of someone or the way they spoke to someone or it's really, really important because obviously everyone talks about the players at a football club. They're the guys that have to go and produce every single week for every three or four days. And some occasions they're the guys that are going to get judged along with myself, rightly or wrongly. But the support team behind that is huge and including the ownership. We were brought here because of a clear philosophy and a clear way of doing things. And then have to make sure they understand why they're seeing what they're seeing, right? You know, they're in charge of my destiny. So I have to make sure that they understand what's going on and why we're doing what we're doing. And it's the same with supporters, which is difficult because you have a press conference after a game where you're emotional, depending on the result. 
but also trying to remind the supporters of why we're doing what we're doing, where we're trying to go, remind them of the vision and doing that in an honest way. And I think if you are clear in your vision, clear in the why, it's really easy to be honest. <laughs> it's really easy. Yes. You mentioned the owners, right? So again, if you take any organization, you you know, you may have a board of directors, you'll have a CFO, CEO, et cetera. Just again, to help us understand the the, the, the sort of, it's not it's not you just communicating once and saying, yeah, this is my philosophy. This is how I want my team to play football. Can you just help us understand how you communicate on an ongoing basis with the ownership, if you like, of the organization? And obviously you, you have a CEO also. What does that look like, you know, in terms of retaining belief in your thinking, belief in what you're doing? How do you do that? It's very different here to what it was at my previous club. At my previous club, it was one owner in Pete Winkleman, who was fantastic, gave me such a big opportunity um, and so involved day to day. would see him daily in the office, would tell me exactly what he thought after a game, <laughs> you know, when it was really emotional. And I, I had to learn how to, to A, navigate around that and when to respond and when not to and not to get emotional when Pete was getting emotional because that was really important. And, and also the best way to try and, um, to try and explain and, and influence, I guess, to a point to, to understand, really, to put into context what's going on. The best way to do that with Pete, and I worked that out over a period of time. We had a great relationship and he was so supportive, but it, it took me a while to work out the best way to navigate that relationship. And then I've come here and obviously we have a sporting director in Mark who's been brilliant. He's with us every day. So to convince him or to get him to understand what's going on is really easy because we're here day to day. He sees what's the work that's being put in. So that's not difficult. Well, that's based on a really good relationship, based on trust and honesty and, and buy-in. He's really bought into what we're doing and he's really supported us. So me and coaching staff, you know, we really got his back as well. So we're there for each other. And with the owners, they, you know, they live six, six hours away on a plane. So um, very different to the, my previous one. So, and I have to speak, we have three may, major shareholders. I have to speak to them a lot of the time separately because they have busy schedules, they have other businesses. So I guess it's just being consistent with the message. It's developing relationships and not just a relationship to try and it's reciprocal, right? I, I can't have a relationship where I don't want to speak to them until I want to get something. That's not a relationship. So it's reciprocal. I think I get a lot out of my conversations with them in terms of they are all extremely successful business people in different areas. So they have a lot of wisdom to help give me and, uh, I'm just really honest with them about whatever they want to know about their football club because it's their foot, you know, they own the foot, them and the supporters, they own the football club. Yeah, I think it's just, again, it's relationships based on honesty and being really consistent with what we are aiming for. And of course, being able to back that up with some evidence, some objective stats in our business in, in football is, is very helpful. But I think trying to connect them to what we're doing and what in a different way because they're so far away has been really important. And I think. In the short period of time I've been here, six months or whatever it is, six and a half months, I've established really good relationships with them and they've been really supportive of me as well. And, and also they want to understand the issues we're having here and, and I want to understand, you know, the issues they are having over there. And, and their issues are that they can't be at the club every single day as, as much as they want to. So they don't maybe have the same emotional attachment as, as Pete did at my previous club, but their attachment is very, very strong, just in a different way. So far, yeah, it's been, I've, I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed the relationship. Brilliant. One of the things that I've commented on a previous episode, and this goes back to organizational change, there's often a chasm between vision and execution. And the chasm is largely, and you mentioned it earlier on, because there's a lack of clarity 
There's a lack of detail. There's a lack of an explanation of how somebody aligns. Getting buy-in isn't simple, right? Organizational change isn't easy. So can you just give us a sort of a practical insight into how did you start that process when you you joined Swansea City Football Club? What was it, four days, I think, or something like that before the start yeah. of the season? Not, yeah. not ideal. Um, uh, how did you start that process? What did that look like practically? Because you had to work, obviously, at speed, but this is what teams have to do up and down the land across the globe. You know, they have to translate a vision into something that's actionable and they have to connect people. What did you do? I didn't have much time to really think about it because the process was very quick for me taking the job. So um, I, I flirted with the idea of not showing them anything from my previous club and just coming in cold and saying, this is what we're going to do. So from, on day one, I said, this is what it's going to look like. This is what we, we're going to be. We're going to dominate the ball. We're going to have more of the ball than anyone else. We're going to win it back very, very quickly. And the best evidence I had of that was my old team. So we did show them. We showed them some evidence of it happening with players at a lower level on, on pitches that weren't very good. So it wasn't very long at all, but we started with a vision straight away. This is how you are going to play football. You're all brilliant, brilliant players. You're all capable of doing it. And we're going to help give you the detail that enables you to do it. But guys, it's not going to happen quickly. Just so that you know, there will be moments where it all clicks and it all comes together and it all makes sense. And there are going to be moments where you are questioning everything because of the biases you've built up already over your career, some of you, the, the scar tissue you've had, some of you. So it's not going to be quick, but you have to be willing to go through the pangs. When we get there, it's going to be, it's going to be special and, and, and it's going to hopefully make you bring the best version of yourself to the pitch. Because I really believe in this industry is um, very rarely or only with the top, top players, you see what people are really, really capable of. And that's down to fear. That's down to lack of clarity. That's down to a lot of things. But we went straight in, yeah, this is what it's going to look like. And I said, from Monday to Friday, if we have the luxury of a full working week, you are going to go through um, challenge, learning, questioning each other. You're going to make all your mistakes. You are, but embrace the pain of the week because it's going to make the Saturday so much easier. I think if you are willing to embrace a bit of pain to get where you want to get to, but together and almost find a way to enjoy that, like the guys now, the guys who have played a lot of minutes, the guys who have lived it a lot, the way they help the players who are coming into the team who haven't played so much and the way they talk to them in training go, oh, well, if you do this, I can do that. And the way they help each other now, I'm like, for me, it's, it sounds a bit cliche or corny, but it's like beautiful. So it's a moment where I go, okay, we're six months into the process and we're going to get to where we want to get to because the level of understanding certain people have, and some people take a lot longer than others. People learn in different ways. People have different personalities, different take on responsibility very differently. But if they're willing to help each other and recognize when someone else needs help, then we, we won, you know, the, the, the start of the battle at least. So, so we're on our way. So, yeah, I think it was that. It was initially showing them what it's going to look like and then drilling down on the detail, which is really, really important. And football players in general mostly have scored 16 and then don't sit in a classroom ever again. So they're their form of learning is out on the grass and the train and we're trying to use every method possible we on the training pitch obviously but there's limited time at times with the amount of games in the video analysis room but we lose attention after 15 minutes so we have to go drill into the detail make sure we hit hit it home quickly and yeah. concisely and we'll do that in big tick the whole team meetings apartment meetings if you like if it was a business so in terms of their units defenders together midfielders together um individual meetings because everyone learns differently and at different speeds so um yeah, I think just making sure we were honest from the start. It's going to be a bit painful, but it's going to be really worth it. 
And what we end up with is the same as what we had at our previous club is um, three groups of people, really. Guys that really wanted to do it, but deep down didn't believe they could. Guys who were desperate to do it and will, will work, who maybe have a fear they're not quite good enough, but will work so hard to try and get there. So total vulnerability, not, not worried about, not, no fear of failure. Let's just give it everything I've got. And some of them have really surprised us. They've been fantastic. And some might not make, make it to where we want to get to eventually, but they'll be better for it. They would have improved. They would have given it everything they've got. They'd be well-respected by us, their teammates. And if they end up leaving the club, they'll go with nothing but positivity. We'll have nothing but positivity for them. And hopefully they'll feel the same way. And then we have the, the, the next group, which is people who just go, yeah, this is it. I'm going to go with this. This is, this is a bit of me. You know, I don't want to name names, but our captain's been one of those guys. He's been outstanding, Matt. He's um, been incredible. He's looked at and gone, this is going to, this is going to help me, hopefully, and I want to do everything I can to help it. So, um, yeah, and it's about identifying them within those groups, who, can, who we can use to help influence the others, understanding as well that some people just might not, might not get there, but we have to give them every chance possible. I never, ever want to be in the position where someone leaves and we feel like we've given up on them. And it was the same at our previous club. You know, there was people that didn't play any games for us, but we shook hands when I left, and they actually helped me sign players in the end. They spoke to other people in the game and, because of the relationship we managed to maintain. So, um, yeah, it was just about drilling into the detail, but making sure from day one, we set the target for them. This is where we're going to get to. This is what we're going to do. Um, and the work starts now. Fabulous. One of the big things that we've been talking about on the podcast is the attraction and retention of talent. So you touched upon the fact that the club captain, uh, Mark Grimes, was obviously coming towards the end of his contract, but he has signed a new contract. He wants to stay at the club. And so you've got that retention aspect. But then you've also been in the six months of, of joining, you've also attracted several players to the club. And again, we're just trying to understand what is the importance of the philosophy in that process, right? So the club have signed a player called Hannes Wolf, who joined from the Bundesliga, wasn't playing at his club, but he's at a level probably a little bit higher than where Swansea is at today. But he was very clear in one of his interviews that you shared with him openly over Zoom what your philosophy was and how you saw the team playing. Again, can you give us a lens? Because one one of the things we hear a lot at the moment is that people are saying, well, why do I want to join your organisation? You know, what would happen if I did? And people have got choice, right? They've got a voice across all walks of life. So, again, give us a glimpse into how did you do that? How how does it play a part in that traction process? I think... um... Having a really clear philosophy, firstly, helps, um, helps us have a recruitment plan, a recruitment strategy. It makes things much easier for us. We're looking for certain things. We're looking for character and people who really want to play at Swansea, first and foremost, and, and be part of what we're doing. And a lot of the time, it, ends, it happens quite naturally. They end up coming to us. So Hannes was brought to us by someone, an agent that I knew. And he was like, look, this guy is... Um, He's had a tough time. He needs to find a bit of love for football. He's an incredible football player. It's probably a long shot. I'm not sure he'll drop to the championship, but I think you and him would work well together. And I think he needs someone like you and you could definitely do it someone like him on the pitch. So can you have a chat? And that's how it was. And again, showed evidence of Hannes, what we're doing, how we work, why we work that way, how I think, how I feel it would benefit him. Because people want to understand the benefits to them, right? They want to feel part of something, but how it's going to benefit them because... Yeah, everyone, everyone has, wants to do well in their own life and in their own world. So why it would benefit him, how I think we could help him, how he could definitely help us. And then showed him lo- loads of evidence of it. And then 
the biggest one that we have is football's a really small world and players speak to each other and hopefully it will be the same in business reputation right reputation yeah. of the cult because you hear so many people say this is how we do it but then when you actually speak to somebody who works at organizations very different so i think hopefully being backed up and reinforced by people who have worked with or people we are working with now and when someone's because football's a small world you'll always be able to get hold of someone and say you know what's it like there is it what he's telling me is that true is that how they work if, if you can if you can see that and speak to people and have evidence of it i think that really helps and with cyrus christie and players like that it was very much the same he watched us play for fulham next to the dugout and he was like when i spoke to him he was like i watched it and thought oh, i wouldn't mind being part of that I wouldn't you know that looks exciting that looks enjoyable that looks interesting and um both players financially out of our realm but um we were able to get in the end because both were willing to sacrifice a bit of finance to be here and both bought, really bought into the the project and, and and the culture we're trying to build which was which was fantastic so clear philosophy and the way you treat people it's it, it's what it comes down to right is easiest sell in the world is walk around the office and ask people how they feel to work here and i think um you'd have you'd have a good good idea of of what you what to expect you mentioned earlier on about some of the work you've been doing with the players in terms of clarity, et cetera. And one of the biggest themes that we've been trying to talk about is about culture and how you actually shape a culture. How do you build a culture? You've talked extensively about linking to purpose and behavior, but how do you shape it, right? How do you nurture it? How do you reinforce it? I mean, one of the things that we talked with John Amici um, was around feedback and his feedback model and the structure and what that looked like. We recently spoke with a great gentleman called David Hyatt. He's the co-founder of a great organization called Hyatt Denham. They're actually down the west, west coast of Wales. And he was just, clarity is a superpower. His, his, his team of people make some of the best genes in the world. And he runs 15 minute sessions with them with a post-it notes and a pen and a blank wall. They don't sit down, they don't have biscuits, they don't get comfortable, but they work on what they don't know and how they improve and how they grow, right? So in your culture, you talked about, you know, the analysis and I just would love to get that lens of what do you do? Do you use individual coaching, group coaching? You know, you talked about the the, the attention span is 15 minutes. Hey, we're all in that mindset, right? I'll, I'll only watch a video now if it's two minutes or less. So what do you do? How do you shape your culture and your organization? Well, we speak every day. So I look back on my career and it was there was weeks I'd maybe talk to the manager once before playing for him on a on a Saturday. So we have a to start the day, we meet every morning five, 10 minutes, maybe just to set the tone for the day, what the message is, um, why we're doing what we're doing for the day. Uh, what did we learn from the day before or the weekend before? So just to, yeah, to see them, to smile at them, to see their faces, to get them all together. Sometimes we get them in five minutes early. So they, when you walk in, it's really noisy. They're interacting all together. They're not on their phones. They're not uh, their phones in a meeting room. So it's one time where they're actually all together and really engaging and conversations flying. So we start with that every day to set the tone. And then, I mean, clarity is just so big. Communication, clarity and consistency for me in terms of building a culture because culture reflects leadership. If you have a leader who's inconsistent, who blames people, who doesn't take responsibility, the culture's going to be pretty, very, very similar. And I think what we have here is one of honesty and respect. I think it was because we treat the players with that. And care, care is really important. So community, communication, clarity, consistency and care, I would say is the the four main things for us to show that we actually do care about you as people, not just as, as players. We don't want to improve you just as, as players. And, and 
the same with the staff really like I, we spoke about it here as um we're we're discussing at the moment a big organizational vision mission purpose goals goal setting three-year targets and we're just going for everything now and I think you just have to live what you want to be and um, otherwise it's all pointless. It's all just words on the wall. We do have a lot of words on the wall because we use them every day. Terminology just it's like osmosis for the boys really. I keep seeing them and it keeps reinforcing what we want and, and how to how to go about things. But we've had some examples where we've really had to walk the walk in terms of how we're going to treat people, what's yeah. happened. We're not going to hang people out to dry. We're going to support you. We're going to give you as much chance as possible. And those moments are huge. Those moments are really, really big in football, especially in football where we have to get together every three or four days and, and go to war with someone else to try and win, right? It's not like a quarterly plan or a six-month plan like it would be in any other business. It's so day-to-day, -day, it's so short-term. So making sure we are not totally focused on the short-term or not, are not overly emotional about or feel let down because when you choose to lead this way, it's painful. And I can understand why... So many um, people choose not to and to switch off or not engage emotionally as much because if you really get emotional about it, of course you can feel let down. I'd much rather have that and then the moments of, of brilliance that you feel when someone, you know, you've had a relationship and, and it's been tough and someone comes good and they score a goal or they play brilliantly and you see the growth in someone and um, it's well worth the pain, the balance. So, yeah, you have to walk the walk, right? As a, as a leader, you have to, everything you say you're going to be or the culture is reflective of of the lead and it's the same here as a group of staff we meet in the morning what's the message for the day we've been beat at the weekend listen make sure and it's not it's not forces the players would see through it we said we're going to be consistent guys and so make sure you are make sure the lads know what they did really well understand why we got beat if anyone wants to moan at you take it absorb it see if we can help help them and to move on and, and get better for the next time but yeah it's about that word clarity and and communication as well, I just think is so important. Simon, do I have to bring you in to get your thoughts? Uh, thanks, Michael. Um, just reflecting on what you've been saying there, Russ, in terms of the culture of working with the team and then the culture of working with the, the staff as well, is there also an aspect of the culture of Swansea in the community uh, and presenting that aspect of Swansea Football Club? Yeah, hugely. I think it was something really tried to do at... Um, our previous club to especially during covid because it's really difficult and I, I really wanted the supporters and the people around the club to um, stay connected because the connection was really growing pre-covid and i didn't want to lose that so we did a lot to try and make them understand what we're doing and make and, and bring them in and make them feel part of it the supporters at any football club and the local community are always going to be there managers will come and go players will come and go the people that last forever are those people and um the role a football club has, especially geographically here at Swansea, because we're out on a limb. Uh, everyone supports Swansea. You see Swansea shirts on kit, you know, you don't see like Liverpool shirts. And it, Swansea, the football club is such a big part of the community. Part of my role is to bring them a team that they feel proud of, right? And they feel connected to. Um, and one that reflects the people, uh, like hardworking, humble, proud. I, I, I don't think we make enough of the that we're a Welsh club playing in, in the EFL. I think we could definitely do more around that to build even more connection and, and togetherness. Um, but I think what I want them to have is a team that they know wherever we go, wherever we're going to play, they, are, they, they know what, what to expect or how the team's going to look. One week it doesn't turn up and do this and next week they're not sure, maybe it will change completely. Um, so one, 
we are going to try and be Swansea City wherever we play. We'll, we'll tweak things, of course, and we'll, we'll some days we'll, we won't it won't go to plan like it didn't last Tuesday against Stoke. It was a, a horror show, but the the intentions are good. The lads are giving everything they possibly can, and it was part of the reason for me coming here, to be honest, because we were in a job that we really enjoyed. We felt we're really building something. We're giving a fantastic opportunity. But coming here, part of that was the culture of the football club, the city, the modern history of the playing here and feeling the atmosphere, um, the stadium. All of that had to come into our had to come into our thinking. It was such a big pull for us. The the alignment in terms of what the supporters wanted, I think, want here in terms of style of football and the the way the team behaves on the pitch and off the pitch was um, really important to us. And that's why I said it, and I meant it when we came here. This would have, this club would have been on a very short list of teams that are probably really aligned for us. And I was speaking to another manager about, it, manager about it recently. Cultural context, when you're going to be a leader in any business or any um, football club in particular, understanding the town or the city, understanding what the team has stood for previously in terms of identity, understanding the previous leader, what they've left you and, and how different it is to yours or how aligned it is to yours are all so important. And we had to do all that research when we were, and it was a quick process as well. So it wasn't like we had a long time to make a decision, but um, it's something we spoke about at length. And in the end, that was, that was, that was probably the main reason of coming here was the alignment that I felt with the club and, and what the owners were telling me what, what they wanted. Yeah, they, they're, they're great insights, aren't they? Because I mean, it, it does influence the decisions that people make, the choices that they make. And also, as you said, from a leadership context, it has a massive bearing because the culture could be something that you're not tuned into or something that you're focused on. One of the things that obviously Swansea as a football club has always been renowned for is the development of talent. And, you know, this theme of retention is going to become much more prominent, I think, up and down the land in organisations. As attraction gets harder, making your own talent, growing your own talent is going to become, you know, super, super important. Everybody has a different growth trajectory. So one of the thing challenges I think that organizations face, especially when the younger talent perhaps doesn't have the patience, they have the itchy feet syndrome, as I call it, looking for the next challenge or the next experience or going somewhere else. Can you give us an insight into your views on managing growth and also exposure relating to somebody's development? What are some of your insights and sort of tips, if you like, to facilitate this? We have um, individual development plans. So we sit down at the start with, with individual players, like what, what, what do you want? What do you want from your career? What's the, what is the absolute goal for you personally, um, professionally, outside of your career? What do you want? Some, some people are driven by finance. Some, some are motivated by winning things in football. Some are motivated by playing at a certain level. So it's about establishing what they think they're capable of. Do we feel the same? If we don't feel the same, we're still going to try and help them and give it everything we've got to try and help them get there. But also, if people undersell themselves a lot, so in terms of football as an industry, is a lot of players have been beaten up a little bit and don't realise what they're capable of or what potential they have. So it's about us then trying to get that out of them and making them realise the, um, the amount of potential they have and where they can end up. And let's give it a really good go together to try and help you get there. And also the staff, CPD, uh, about growing them, supporting them. At a previous club I was at, I was, you know, we spoke about it for a long time and I kept saying to the chief exec, we, there should be a CPD fund for the staff. Otherwise, they're so important to the players. 
and all the money goes on the football players. I get that. They're the guys that have to go and um, perform every week. But what about upskilling the guys with them and making them feel valued? And if they want to go and improve something. So it's something the club here do very well. It's trying to grow their own. Again, geographically, you have to grow your own people. If you're not going to pay a fortune to go and get people from major cities to move to, to Swansea, then um, you have to make sure you're, you're growing and upskilling your people all the time and helping them develop. So that's something that's really important here. Um, and it's a huge remit of our job. I think everyone's not been shy about that, is to create value, create assets for the, the team, for the club, to help the club run sustainably. It's a huge part of the reason we were brought here because we've done that to, uh, quite a lot at our previous club with a lot of young players, a lot of young men, even some older ones who came in and surprised everyone, but not us, um, because of what they did. I think um, understanding the motivation for people, but also help understand, making them understand how you can help their journey. So maybe just give us another year. Give us another year and see where we're at because you can help us get in. We can help you get to there. And you feel, making them feel fulfilled in their current role and, and making them feel a big part of it. I think big part of the, the project or whatever you've got going on, making them feel valued. I think we've ended up recruiting players that we, we couldn't have recruited because they understand they see the big picture and it's trying to make people see the big picture. I think in football, it's difficult at times because a lot of players will end up going where the most money is because their agents advise them to go there because everyone benefits financially. What I would say, whenever that's happened, it's not gone very well. So I, I try and use a, a few examples of that when talking to people and say, you know, you have to be really careful about this because short term, maybe you won't earn as much money, but long term you will. And your job satisfaction is going to be much higher. So I think it's making people feel so valued at your place of work and also doing everything you can to keep them. And if at some point they have an opportunity that is so big that they can't turn down, you can say, do you know what? We've helped you gain that opportunity. You've helped us hugely. You've grown a lot. We can't quite get there at this minute in time. Hopefully one day we will. And we understand you've given us everything you've got. You shake hands. I'm pretty sure that relationship will come back around at some point, in some way, in some form or another. And I think that's why it's so important to make sure that when people leave, they, they, they still feel valued and the relationship can continue. I still speak to some previous players now. They'll just ring me up for a, a chat. Like I was on watching a match with my two boys the other day and they got a FaceTime call and we on FaceTime after watching a match and my wife came in and was like, is that one of your ex-players? Like, yeah, she was like, that's amazing. You just had a 40-minute chat and he was chatting to my kids. And so, um, yeah, I think that's so important. To me, it's so important. Maybe it's not to everyone, but um, I think making sure they understand the big picture and what you can do for them and how, how they can help you and, and, and making them feel valued, right? Again, going, coming back to the purpose and how important they are to it. You just mentioned there that many people undersell themselves. I, I think that's a big issue probably not, not just in sport, but in business. John Amici, Simon, if you recall, he, 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 he said, humility sometimes is BS. People do not say what they're good at, what they believe their strengths are, what they believe they can make a difference. They shy away from it. And then it's up to the organization to uncover it or yeah. find it out, as you mentioned. Some of our guys can't. It's, it's been so crazy for me. They can't, um, they can't accept praise very well at all. Or they don't, they reluctantly accept praise or they find it a little bit uncomfortable and smile or giggle. They're getting there now. I mean, I tell guys regularly, I love them for what they're doing on the pitch. And at first they, they must have thought I was the weirdest guy ever. I think some of them still do. But um, accepting praise is, is really difficult for some of these people. And I think that, that's a, that happens a lot. That happens a lot. And humility is a, is a brilliant trait, right? In people. But I think, again, that's a cultural thing. That's a British thing. When I speak to players who've played abroad or we've had different players come in from different cultures when I was a player and, and different countries with, with completely different cultures, 
they would celebrate success, even the smallest one, or tell someone, wow, that was amazing. It's like, no, that's pretty ordinary. And it's like, okay, that's different. Um, so that opened my eyes a lot. And I think it's something we don't do enough is give praise. And something we definitely don't do enough is accept that praise. We're all well open to hearing criticism and, and trying to accept criticism or criticizing other people. Um, but trying to be positive and actually praise someone when they've done a good job, it doesn't happen enough. No, no, it doesn't. And I think that's why building growth mindsets is proving to be a challenge in a lot of organizations. Just wanted to ask very quickly, we, we talk about accelerating readiness. If you think about succession in a lot of organizations, it's about accelerating readiness. And the only way you do that is by giving exposure. That can result in two things. They fly or they retreat. Now, sport is a great way of exposing people, whether they can cope, they can't cope. But managing the after effects of that can be quite difficult. It's, it can in the in 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 many organisations. Do you do you have those in instances where you know you've exposed somebody because you think that they're ready for an opportunity, but it hasn't quite worked? How do you manage the fallout of that? Yeah, definitely. We've had that. You know, I've had to deal with that a lot. We have uh, you train a week with no crowd, so with no um, no factor to take in in terms of anxiety or managing emotion or managing the anxiety, managing the mood of a crowd. Throughout COVID, it was what's no fans was rubbish, but for some of the young guys, it was incredible because they could literally learn the game and play the game without having to deal with any of that. But then when it hit them, it was like, whoa, okay, that's that's a different side, or that's maybe surprised us a little bit. So I think again, it comes down to trying to learn from it. It's it's when you put someone and you feel they're ready, if it doesn't quite go to plan, okay, that's that's on both of us. Don't worry about that. What can we do to make sure that Next time it doesn't happen, it doesn't repeat itself. How can we help you to be better? And also understanding that it's on everyone. If we're, if we're playing one player who's 18, we have 10 other guys. You have to help that. You have to help him out. You know, yeah. you, you're, you're a team. You have to make sure that if he's struggling, you help in any way you possibly can. And again, that comes down to character. That comes down to people. Having enough good people around to be able to carry someone for a short period of time because you understand, they understand where that person's going to get to. I think if you put someone in who doesn't have the skill set required and constantly you're having to cover for that person or they lack, a, they lack the personality, the connection with the... If someone isn't very good, but they are a brilliant personality in everything, in football especially, people will help them and they will carry them for as long as they possibly can until it gets to the point where they go, just can't do it. You know, it's just not working. If you're not good and you're not a good person, you're not going to last very long. So you have to be willing and hungry to, to try and improve and, and everyone else will help. But in terms of this environment with a group of players we have, it's incredible. So I think when you're convinced talent is ready, the only way you're going to find out is experiencing it, but it's making sure that they're not defined by that first experience. I think too much in football, you see it, there's people who make between two and 10 appearances they're never seen again. It's like, wow, that's, that's harsh. Yeah. That's, you know, that's, that's really harsh judgment. And, um, so it's about time. It's about learning through that time. And if, of course, you don't see improvement after you've given it a bit of time and you've spent enough time making them understand what they need to improve on, then, um, of course, it will, have to, it will have to come to an end at some point. But I do think we don't give people enough time or, or chance. And that comes down to clarity and understanding what they're doing on the, when they step onto the pitch or into the workplace Absolutely. and what they're being judged on. No, top insights. That's that is top insights. Last question. Last question before Simon tells me off, as he always yeah. does, because I'm running over. Uh, one of the things our listeners always love is top tips, wisdom. 
So if I may ask, you're standing in a room full of uh, 250 other coaches, leaders, and they're asking you to give them two or three top tips that you think will help them. What would they be? I think the, the one quote, I'm not a huge fan of quotes, etc. but the one I always say when I've been on any of my coaching course, and they ask for a quote at the start to find out who you are, is um, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Is it as a leader, as a person, I think um, you have to show that you care and you genuinely care. You have to connect in some way with people. For me, like, it's just being authentic, really. I mean, it's really, I would find this job so difficult if I was being dishonest or doing something I didn't really believe in. But, you know, I've come across coaches with that who are unbelievably, unbelievably skilled and talented coaches and people. But ultimately, you can tell they don't believe in what they're coaching, even if they're doing it really well, but they are putting <laughs> Deep down, you can just see there's not quite that um, connection there to it. So, I mean, connection, I think we're all going to get to our, well, I hope it's not in a long, long time for all of us, but um, not for a long time, but we're going to get on a deathbed. I don't think money will matter. I don't think, you know, any of that uh, title, any of that will matter. It'll be about connection, relationships and experiences that you've had and the people you'd want around you at that, at that time. So, for me, it's about care. It's about connection to people, to something, um, to a purpose and, uh, yeah, being authentic with that. Yeah, I love that. I think the authentic piece has been coming through for quite quite some time. People can see through it. And I think you mentioned earlier on about how, you know, whether it be supporters or whether it be customers with an organization or whether it be the employee base, they will tell you how you're doing. They'll tell you what your brand stands for and they will tell you whether or not they believe it or not. That's just the way of the world today. Russ, thank you so much. Thank you for being a guest. There's been so many top insights and this topic of philosophy I think will be hugely important to organizations going forward as they struggle to attract talent, retain talent, but more than anything, deliver on their goals. Because I think people want to be part of something that they truly believe in, they believe they can belong to, but also it helps them to grow and be better. So thank you so much. It's been no, wonderful. Thank you. Thanks. Simon, as always, I love these conversations. I know you do as well. We're very privileged uh, to get this time with our guests to learn about what they do on a day-to-day -day basis, but more than that, to get inside their thoughts and their thinking and get their insights. And I think we gained so much today. Can I just ask you what some of your real key takeaways were from that conversation? Well, it was great to hear from Russ about those observations that, yeah, they do apply in football, but they are applicable anywhere. The usage of the philosophy, the the living of the philosophy, all of these things can happen in any industry. And I think that was that was great to hear. I think the, the, the takeaway I, I really stuck with me uh, towards the end of the conversation was when he was talking about not defining somebody from their first experience or exposure. And I, that, that really struck me because I think that is absolutely crucial to developing people. Yeah, in a positive or a negative way, you know, somebody gets built up too much uh, because of a first experience or gets too heavily criticised from a first experience. And and that can be damaging to to anybody's career, whether they're a footballer, back office staff or, or work in any type of industry or, or, or workplace. So that, that just stayed with me yeah, as, as a, quite a significant statement and observation. What about yourself? What did you what did you take away from this one? Well, I think, listen, you and I are, are making connections to all of the episodes. I think we're seeing connections and we're seeing similar themes. And, and I think this is no different. You know, the word connection came up a lot, didn't it? The word vision came up a lot. Having a clear purpose. How do you align people to that? But then I think what was really interesting is 
from a leadership perspective, he talked about how you be authentic because people will see through it. In this instance, players will see through it. So you've got to walk the walk and you've got to live it every single day. And that's very consistent, I think, with previous conversations. But I think the other, the last takeaway is around that sustaining and, and that aligning with your stakeholders. And the stakeholders aren't just the owners and the CEO, but every stakeholder. And I think he talked about the work they're doing now to be clear on the vision, to be clear on the values, to be clear on the goals, be clear on the behaviors. Listen, being really candid, you know, you and I are football fans. I, I, I am a Swansea City fan, uh, 43 years. So it was a real privilege for me to spend time with somebody who is actually the custodian of my club. Uh, and to hear him and explain his work, his philosophy, his thinking, I, I know my club is in extremely safe hands. So, Simon, fantastic conversation as always. Great episode. Really grateful to Russ. And uh, I hope our listeners enjoy it as much as we did. So, on to the next episode. And I'm going for my cup of tea. Until then, everybody, goodbye. <laughs>